Hello and welcome back to another episode of Talk and Chop. I'm your host, Gary Putnick, and today, once again, I'm joined by the Brett Rutherford, and we have a new guest alongside here, not used to being called a guest for the past year, usually the host of to- uh, Tomahawk, or yeah, I got it right, Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. Nick Carlisle is joining us today. Thank you, Nick. Thank you so much for having me, man. It's good to be on the other side of things. I'm interested to see uh, what we get to talk about tonight. Lots of good Florida State stuff going on. Yep. And as usual, we will be talking about all Florida State stuff because we are a Florida State podcast. But first off, we're going to lead off with a little bit of just general college sports news. We're we're recording the day after the uh, Vanderbilt Commodores took down Michigan Wolverines in the College World Series to claim the title and the Commodores they got off to a rocky start in the series they got down seven to four in game one dropped that game and then came back won four to one in game two and then eight to two in game three to eventually win the series I just want to get your guys quick thoughts on what the series was as a whole Brett well well I, I really thought and, and, and Nick and I actually watched part of, of game one together uh, over over some Jim and Milt barbecue not a sponsor mm. just just great food um, but and, I, and I'm, I'm, I think I looked over to Nick and I said, Michigan's really just a, a team of destiny. They're one of those teams mm-hmm. where a lot like Florida State was throughout most of the postseason that just couldn't be stopped no matter who you threw in front of them. Um, and, and then finally, um, in, the, in the final two games of the season, Vanderbilt's pitching just really stepped up. Obviously, the big name that's been a huge talking point, not only in the college baseball world, but in the, in the national sports world has been Kumar Rocker, who, who threw the no-hitter in the Super Regional um, and then had another great performance uh, at the College World Series in the championship round. And, and Vanderbilt, honestly, probably were the best team in the country this year outside of maybe UCLA throughout the regular season. And I, I, I do think that they, they were the best team and, and, and they really deserve to win this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like, what, I like what Brett said about the comparison to Florida State because on both sides of their specific brackets – they were kind of that team that everybody was rooting for. Both were in the last four in the College World Series, or excuse me, the the, uh, the postseason in general. Mm-hmm. So it was really interesting to see these teams of destiny, quote-unquote, how far they would get into the College World Series. And just like with Florida State, once their magic run out, it was going to be the same type of question for Michigan. Once the magic began to run out, how would they respond? And when their bats went cold, it, Michigan really, like Florida State, was not able to get really any momentum back and like brett said vanderbilt's pitching just absolutely took over i mean two runs uh, against a michigan team which of course as i did say was batting extremely well up until this point it was really kind of just an interesting thing to see and it's an interesting dichotomy between those two destiny teams and well i do agree the best team did end up winning uh the the trophy this season mm-hmm. and michigan like you said i'm gonna harp on it for a second like you said the michigan offense was rolling before the College World Series, or during the College World Series, they scored the least amount that they had scored up until that point. I think two runs against Florida State was the least amount of runs they had scored all postseason, and then they put up a one spot in the Game 2 and then another two in Game 3 of the finals. So, yeah, like you said, it really once it slowed down, it really slowed down, and then it was difficult to get it going. And Michigan's pitching just took advantage and kept pounding the zone on and on against them. But going coming off that we didn't have a show after florida state's loss to texas tech where they lost four to one to tech or four to one and just want to get your guys thoughts on how the season ended for the Knowles and what are they looking forward to next year well gary i I, gary i think uh i think you and i probably but we're we're in agreement saying that our expectations for florida state in omaha was to win one game. We weren't sure which game it was going to be, if mm-hmm. it was going to be game one against Arkansas or, or in, with their backs against the wall in their first elimination game. And uh, they, they did win their first one, but finally when they did have to have that elimination game, it, it was a rough one. And I think the, the storyline for Florida State was those really hot bats that we saw in Athens, and, and they were still there in Baton Rouge to an extent, um, really kind of just disappeared. And a lot of people – I heard a lot of people try to – Try to place blame on, on a certain hitting coach or a former hitting coach at Florida State, and we'll get to that in a second. Oh, I'm sure. Okay, okay. <laughs> but but I I just think um, Florida State it, it, it did feel like the, the the luck ran out. I don't want to call it luck, but the magic ran out, mm-hmm. and they they had kind of 
just it's an exhausting run to go to be on the road in, in how many straight weekends to go from the ACC tournament to, to Athens, to Baton Rouge, to Omaha. And there's just a lot of hype. And, and, and sometimes the bats go cold and, and especially for Florida state, but really the case in baseball is, you know, hitting is contagious when, when they're, mm-hmm. and when a couple people are doing it, they're all doing it. And, but when the bats dry up, when Reese Albert strikes out, you know, however many times since that two home run game in, in Baton Rouge, Everyone really just kind of stopped hitting, um, including Drew Mendoza, including Mike Salvatore, the, the two guys that Florida State would have had to lean on if they wanted to go really deep in, in the College World Series. Spring is on. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think that when you th- when you think about this, the year that the Florida State Seminoles had, you talk about the twenty to seven loss in the middle of March to Florida, and then that horrible skid that they went on in March and April, and you talk about their postseason resurgence, you know, uh, beating NC State. Uh, towards the end of the ACC tournament to really kind of get them into the postseason. And to me, it just feels like so much was put into getting to Omaha. Literally every single effort from every single player. Sure, there was a lot of momentum behind everything, but there was just so much energy invested in getting to Omaha that I think nobody really stopped to think, well, how are we going to continue it after we get there? I think Florida Mm -hmm. State ended up just getting gassed because, I mean, it's not like they blew Arkansas out of the water. They, you know, won – one one to nothing and you know a lot of that was due to part of Arkansas's fault as well you know letting JC Flowers not only you know warm up in the bullpen but literally I guess develop the entire rest of the game for Florida State but after that point it literally felt like Florida State was just gassed they had no answers they were trying to hit the long ball and I I don't necessarily want to say that the luck ran out but I'm just going to say that the energy ran out because everybody wanted to get to Omaha for Mike Martin's last season. They were able to do that, but nobody, I think, really thought about, now that I'm here, what happens next? How do I get myself to the next level? How do I get myself in the position to actually win a championship? So, Yeah, uh, yeah, that's – it's true. The, the magic ran out for Magic Mike and the boys, but either way, <laughs> you could say – I don't know. what, I, what Nick kind of brought up a good point there. He was saying the, it felt like t- towards the end there was a lot of strikeouts – the swings were home run swings, not really looking to put the ball in play. And one thing that you got to look towards is the coaching on that. Cause as much as you can place the blame on the players and obviously the majority of the blame should be placed on the players for trying to put the ball where they were trying to, but the coaches sometimes got to sit them down and say, Hey, we're trying to look for line drives right here. We're trying to draw backspin backspin line drives will turn into home runs. Just try and get on pass the bat to the next guy. But it didn't happen. They just kept going and kept doing the same thing. And I mean, you could maybe place some of the blame on the hitting and maybe the hitting coach, but I don't know, Brett, what are your thoughts on that? I, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to claim to know what was being said in, in the Florida mm-hmm. state dugout or what was being said to the team with, you know, in between games. Well, yeah. Um, it, the, the approach did look different to, than what we were used to out of this, out of this baseball team. Um, they were they were striking. Well, we know they strike out a lot, but they mm-hmm. they, they they weren't able to to draw as many walks. They weren't able to kind of set up those situations for for the meat of that order to drive in a bunch of runs. And I don't know. I mean, I I, I think on on one hand, yeah, the, the approach was different, and I think that could have been coming from the coaching staff. That that could have been coming from the players. But I, I really do think you just got to tip it to to the pitchers they faced. Uh, you know, Bryce Bonin, I th- I believe got the start for for Texas Tech in that elimination game and, and uh, pitched really well, kind of just kept the, the Florida State hitters off balance, just like we saw in, in the uh, Michigan game. Um, Tommy Henry with an absolute gem. Mm-hmm. Of, you know, nine, nine innings, uh, nine shutout innings, only giving up three hits and, and striking out ten. Um, I think if, if, you're, if, you, if you've seen this Florida State team, you know their approach. Obviously, all of these games were nationally televised. They were heavily scouted. I think it was a lot easier – for, for the pitchers um, that, that Florida State faced in Omaha to prepare to, to get them out. Mm-hmm. Nikki, anything on this? or No, I think Brett did a pretty good job of covering anything. I You know, I, I mean, I said previously that the approach looked different. You know, Florida State actually drew a, a quite a bit of walks in that last game versus Texas Tech. More than Texas Tech drew. Texas Tech only drew four. Florida State drew eight. But the problem necessarily wasn't getting them on base. It was getting them home. The only run mm-hmm. that Florida State played to that game, I believe, was unearned, actually, uh, off an error. So it, it was really just a batting issue. 
in terms of trying to swing for the fences, trying to get multiple people home at once instead of developing, uh, I guess, the momentum and snowballing, which is what they probably should have done. I also think that uh, you probably could have seen Florida State make a few more personnel changes. You know, as nice as Tim Becker was towards the postseason and as hot as he was, he definitely cooled off when things, when, you know, you expected him to pull another miracle. But uh, that and Ender Sadis didn't necessarily have the best series either. There were a couple of people that I think maybe Martin should have shifted around and see what he could have done to spice things up, especially when it means so much that late in the season. But uh, things be what they may, Florida State lost to Texas Tech 4-1, to and the batting was just not there. Mm-hmm. And carrying over with the batting, I don't know, but Brett, did you have anything else? Or yeah, I, I, I obviously when when a team gets silenced the way that Florida State did across those three games at the College World Series, um, that's that's the the big talking point. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I do want to mention the the pitchers and the pitchers that are going to be returning to Florida State staff next year. That are going to, I you know, I think Florida State's usually considered an offensive centric program. The pitching was amazing out mm-hmm. there. Obviously, you've got guys like C.J. Van Eyck, Antonio Velez, Jonas Scalara, who against Michigan went six up, six down with six strikeouts. Uh, these are guys that are going to be really key pieces going forward for Florida State. Obviously, you lose a guy like Mike Salvatore and Drew Mendoza, who both had slugging percentages well over 500. Those are your big run producers. So you got to look, where is this Florida State team going to be – how are they going to be winning their baseball games next year? I think it really is going to be dependent on how well they pitch. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's one thing that I was concerned about coming into this season. Like I kept preaching, it's like the one problem that I have with this team is going to be what is the pitching going to do? How consistent is bullpen going to remain? And they did show a bit of inconsistencies throughout the whole season, but that's just baseball. But they really did nail it down at the, at the back half of the season and figure it out and just relax. So that doesn't still me with a bit more confidence going into next season. And especially when you're really only losing Drew Parrish in your starting rotation, my mm-hmm. ace. I'm sorry, I'm sorry that he probably <laughs> won't be there, but but still, he. I think the the staff will carry on. No, and car- oh, yeah. sorry, sorry to interrupt you, Gary. No, but, all you. Uh, one thing, one thing that I said on the on Tomahawk Talk mm-hmm. was that I I think Luke asked me how I felt about the pitching going into next season, seeing how they performed. Uh, in the later stat, the latter stages of Omaha. And basically my answer was that it leaves me no more confident than it would have last year. Because if you remember Drew Parrish ended last season, uh, well, I mean, he obviously had a bad game, but he was pitching extremely well. Mm -hmm. Everybody thought that he was going to come back and he was going to have a lights out season. And he didn't really even have a lights out season until the end of the season. So baseball is probably the hardest sport to carry and transfer and transfer over one year success to the other. I think that's something that's unique to baseball. That's what makes baseball an incredible sport to watch and play. But the fact that the bullpen was so strong that during the season doesn't give me any confidence that it's going to be the same next year round because it's very difficult to pitch when you, when you have your stuff, you have it, but when you don't, you don't. And that's mm-hmm. just kind of the matter of the sport. I know that you play, I'm kind of interested to, to uh, see what you say about that. Yeah, well, I like I see what you mean with the point there about Parrish and how his transition didn't wasn't one to one from last season to this. But what I think is interesting is that we had a whole more of a collective bullpen that was able to do their job and get get through to the next game over and over again. Whereas Parrish was just one man, right? And it's yeah, it's a bit different, obviously, but still. And Parrish was in a weird situation, and his confidence got I would say messed up a little bit with what happened because he did get thrown about 136 pitches over a two and a half hour rain delay or so. And that was kind of just one of the weirder things you'll see in baseball. Cause every time you watch a baseball game, you'll see something new, but it, I think the, I think the pitching will carry over and I think they do have some added confidence because they really didn't, it's not like they got blown out in these, in these last couple games in Omaha, they lost four to one in their last game. And then the game against Michigan did get a bit out of hand. I'd say it felt like at least, even though it was only two nothing, but still, I, I still think they're in a good spot going into next year. Yeah, I agree. I have to agree on that mm-hmm. one. So let's keep it moving on to the next topic here. We got the hitting coach for Florida state, Mike Martin, Jr. AKA meet getting promoted, getting the call up to be the skipper next year for the Seminoles. I know, Nick, were you at the press conference the other day? I was not at the press conference, but I was able to – I watched it later. All right. So, I'm going to talk to both of you guys. But, Brett, I know you were there at Mm -hmm. 
was it at the uh, more athletic or more? I don't know, somewhere in the football stadium, probably. Yeah, the, the more athletic center, um, right there in, in UCD. There you go. Yep. So I'm going to let you take the reins on this one. Just kind of lead us through because obviously I wasn't there and Nick. Nick was Nick watched, so I guess that's close enough. But yeah, take it away. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I think this hire was something that a lot of people were expecting. Um, it was something that as we got later into the season, I, I was expecting to, to be made. Um, and, and at that press conference, um, I think what we saw from Mike Martin Jr. Uh, was, was him trying to, to make his own name for himself. He, wanted, he wants to really distinguish himself from his father, from 11, um, in, in, in the way he carries himself and the way he runs the program. Um, it wasn't really, there weren't really a whole lot of, of bombshell news out of this, out of this presser. Um, but the two things he did bring up, uh, one, the names are going to come off the backs of the Florida State jerseys. He says he wants it to be about the team. The name, the name doesn't matter. Um, and the other thing, and, and this is kind of just trivial, um, the team will be moving from the first base dugout uh, to the third base dugout. And I think he mentioned, and this had to have been way before my time, that the team originally was in the third base dugout and has since moved to the first base. So they're going back to the third base dugout. Um, apparently it's, it's a little bigger, it's a little roomier. Um, but I, I think, uh, he also really made clear that he wants to recruit hard and he wants to recruit fast. Uh, and he, he thinks that obviously Florida State's had top 10 classes for, I don't know how many years now, um, with him as the recruiting coordinator, but he, he wants to get better. He wants to always recruit, be the best, have the best recruiting classes in the state of Florida and really compete with some of those other powerhouses in the SEC or also within the ACC. And I know they've made their first hire. They've brought in Mike Metcalf, who's got some professional scouting experience with the San Francisco Giants. And he's got really great relationships with high school coaches all around the state of Florida. His father, uh, Clyde Metcalf, is the head coach at at Sarasota High, where they've produced several major leaguers. And I think that's a really good start because obviously Junior is still going to be hands-on with recruiting like he has been for the last few years. Um, But he's going to have a team around him that can really start filling in all the cracks um, in this program. Yeah, I, I, unfortunately, I wasn't able to watch the press conference before the before the uh, the Tomahawk, shock, uh, Tomahawk talk show on Monday night. But after watching it the next day, uh, I'm I'm I was really impressed with this introductory press conference. Not because there was any bombastic news or anything apart from what Brett just said, but because he did seem to have a plan and. The thing is, is how do you replace a man like Mike Martin? And the simple and short answer is simply you don't. Mm-hmm. And so Mike Martin Jr. or Meat or however you want to refer to him by, he's really making sure that he distinguishes himself from his father. And he's going to – I think he has the mindset that he's going to not – I mean, there's no way that you can possibly outlive Mike Martin's legacy, but you really want to start to make a legacy of your own. I really admire how he seems a little bit more aggressive, not only in his recruiting, but in the vision that he wants his team to be. And I think that the only thing that surprised me about this hire in general was how quick that it happened because, I mean, the College World Series wasn't even over when, the, when Mike Martin Jr. was announced as the head coach. I thought it would have at least taken three or four weeks after Florida State uh, got eliminated by Texas Tech, but Florida State obviously knew that they wanted Mike Martin Jr. to be the guy. Maybe he's always been the guy in the national the nationwide search was a bit of a scam in that sense, but uh, I, I'm personally happy with the hire. I think that he's going to do a good job, and this is probably going to be a different Florida State atmosphere than one that we've seen in a long time. Mm-hmm. Well, and Nick, and Nick I just want to add, uh, I, I do think that they had to make that hire as quickly as they did because I know the next day he was on the, he was on the recruiting trail, and this is the prime time to go get those players. Summer ball has started all across the country with these showcase events. And, yeah, I, I think the program did want to give – 11 as much time in, in the limelight as possible um but but they had to make their decision and they, and they had to do it fast and hopefully hopefully it pays off in recruiting and one thing that i want to ask you guys about the recruiting is i know it was brought up a bit on twitter every now and then over the past week or so but it's the facilities and i don't know if he mentioned in the press conference i didn't i may have missed it but did he mention any bit of how he wants to update the facilities i know the baseball uh, stadium as a whole is getting updated but you see Arkansas just announced a new baseball facility, like their own like locker room and clubhouse, more a bigger kind of clubhouse atmosphere near their ballpark. And I don't know if was there any mention of that, or do you expect him to be making these kind of updates to Dick Hauser, Mike Martin field anytime soon? 
Well, there, there was mention of upgrading facilities. I think that will be one of his top priorities. He didn't really go into detail because, as we all know, you, you, you can't really go into detail mm-hmm. when the money's not there yet, and they, and they don't have that money. And I think that's going to be another one of his top priorities is, is to raise the funds for this program so they can compete with, you know, you know, me and Gary and Gianna and Alex. We just left Baton Rouge. We saw what they had at LSU. Um, we saw what six national championships can do due to a baseball program. And, I, and I've seen, seen other facilities around the ACC, schools that don't win as much as Florida State, that have much nicer facilities. And, and that's going to be a huge pull um, in the recruiting world, especially when you don't have Mike Martin Sr. at the helm of your baseball team. That was the other question I wanted to get to. Nick, I'll let you – I'll ask this to you. How much do you think when Meat was on the recruiting trail, how much of a aspect was, hey, you're, if you come to Florida State, you're going to be playing for Mike Martin. You're going to be playing for this legendary coach. How much do you think that was in his kind of pitch to these kids? And do you think it's going to affect kids now that, hey, there is no – allure of coming to play for for senior and now you're just playing for junior that's an interesting question because i could tell you if i was mike martin jr i wouldn't mention it at all unless i was asked about it i wouldn't put that in my pitch at all i don't want the recruits to think that i i have any doubts that i cannot live up to my father's expectations so but on the other hand you do also need to acknowledge what is there now and what's not going to be there you can't like exclusively leave out bits and pieces when you're when you're recruiting these really awesome players. So, you know, I, I can't really say for sure what he said or how much of a part of the sales pitch that was. I think if you're Mike Martin Jr., you pitch the, you, you, you pitch the facility upgrades in the future. You pitch the fandom that Florida State has. You pitch the nostalgia and the, the, the I guess, the prestige that Dick Hauser uh, Stadium and Mike Martin Field has. I think you pitch the town of and the school of Tallahassee, and I wouldn't necessarily put – the fact that there's a legacy being left behind uh, as much in the front. But again, I, I wasn't sitting in on the meeting, so I can't really tell you. It's a tricky question to answer. Mm-hmm. Brett, you got anything? Yeah, I, 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 I have to agree with Nick. I think the, the main pitch is now Florida State baseball is a program with an extreme amount of history. You know, for the last 40 years, Mike Martin's been the head coach. You can call it history, but he's still there. And, mm-hmm. and, and now Junior can say, look at what we've done the last 40 or so years. That's what he can tell those players. Uh, look at how many times that Florida State has made the College World Series. You can be part of that next group. You can build this, this next chapter in Florida State baseball. I, I think that's really going to play into his hand if, if he plays it right. All right. I, that's what I like to hear from you guys there. Uh, so I'll, let's get it here. Let me, let's get your opinions now. Do you give what do you give this on the grading scale? Let's give a report card for this hire. What do you guys think, Nick? Let's start off with you. Uh, I think that probably they put this as an A minus. Not that my, I have any doubts that Mike Martin Jr. is, is isn't going to do a, a good job. Of course, I can't see that far into the future, but I don't see that why somebody who has not only spent time with the current players that are at Florida State, but has spent just a whole lot of time with Florida State in general, along with his father. I don't see why this could in any way be a bad hire at this point. Again, I was surprised with how fast it happened. I would have given Mike Martin Sr. a little bit more time in the limelight. But as Brett pointed out, recruiting starts now. The new season starts now, even though it doesn't start for a long time. But uh, mm-hmm. I, I think an A- minus is, is probably the, the strongest grade that I can give it. All right, Brett. I, th- I think it is hard to grade a hire, especially when you bring in somebody – that doesn't have head coaching experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so the proof, the proof is really going to be in the pudding with Mike Martin Jr. with what he does. You know, maybe next year you give him a little more leeway, but in, in years two and three, where maybe he could be on the chopping block after, after two or three years at the, at, the, at the helm. But I think for this hire, it was, it was the right choice um, with the financial situation, with everything that's happened, with the success this team has had. Uh, with the success that Mike Martin Jr. has had as their hitting coach and as their recruiting coordinator, um, I'm going to give it uh, a B just because I- I've never seen what Jr. can do at- as a head coach. And I guess we're all going to have to find out together. Yeah, I like I like that answer, Brett. I'm going to stick with – I'm going to follow you. I'm going to go with a B as well because I think it's just the safe pick. I think Coburn's not trying to rock the boat here. I know he could – eventually get into hot water with how Willie Taggart goes and the whole football situation. 
and I knew if he, maybe he tried to like go out there and make a crazy hire that was a high risk, high reward situation that he could be very well on the chopping block, just like meat might be sooner or later, or Taggart might be sooner or later. Who knows? But I think it was the safe pick. I'm not gonna obviously call it either way yet. But I'm just uh, Gary. I do pick. got I do got a couple more things to add about you mm-hmm. mentioned. Um, AD David Coburn, and it's a very good possibility that within the next few years, Florida State could have a new university president after John Thrasher retires, and that would most likely mean um, a new athletic director because David Coburn was the interim athletic director named permanent AD. Um, so I think with, with Willie Taggart, who he did, who did make an appearance at the press conference mm-hmm. um, with Ron Dugans and Dante Pimpleton and a couple other members of his coaching staff, <laughs> both Taggart and Martin Jr. are, are going to kind of both have to prove themselves um, maybe before a new administration comes in and decides, nope, we're going to start fresh. So I think that's going to be, you know, they're on the clock and Martin Jr. just, just took over, but, but I think he's going to feel a heat sooner rather than later if the results aren't flowing in. Mm-hmm. And so let's keep it going. I feel like we've touched enough on the baseball diamond and let's toss it over to Joanne Graff field where Florida state softball had a little bit of a shakeup this past week. It was already announced earlier, I believe, in the summer that uh, freshman Mackenzie Herzog was going to transfer out of the program and eventually find a new landing spot somewhere else. No one knew where exactly. She's from uh, Missouri City, Texas, so a lot of people could have assumed it was from that area. And it was announced this week earlier that it was, in fact, a Texas school, and that Texas school happens to be Texas A&M. So Florida State softball is losing a pre- I'd say pretty influential pitcher that would have likely have been the ace for this staff next year. She sported a one uh, five, six ERA, a 10 and 12 or 10 and two record. Sorry. In 20 games, 14 games started 71 in 71.2 innings pitched. And she only gave up 19 runs in those outings. So it's a weird situation for the Knowles because now really all they have there in their rotation who has a significant experience is uh, Catherine Sandercock who did perform extremely well for her first year in the circle there for the Knolls. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how this rotation takes shape as we get closer to next season. Obviously we still got a long time. We were talking about before the show, we got the Seminoles got a girl from Tennessee and who knows, maybe a freshman or two could step up and eventually find themselves pitching for the Seminoles. Nick yeah. Yeah. Nick, no, Nick, you go ahead. Uh, I'm sorry, my my phone kind of bugged out. Was there a question involved in that, or was it just looking? Just for kind of general. Let's get your let's get gen- your ideas. General opinion on it. I don't know what it is about Florida State players and coaches going to Texas A&M, but it's a trend that I kind of <laughs> want to buck. Um, it started by a particular football coach, but his name shall not be named. Um, we've this, mentioned his name <laughs> we've well i mean we've done well, it before we're not afraid done, here we've done it before we'll pass on it just now um this is obviously a pretty it's i'm not going to say surprising because it was announced that she wanted to transfer a while ago but this is a pretty substantial loss for florida state um of course homesickness which is what she said sparked the decision to transfer from florida state she said it had really nothing to do from with florida state other than the fact that she was feeling homesick you can't really plan for that as a recruiter. You really can't plan for that as a program. So on that hand, you, uh, on that on that side of things, you can't really blame Mackenzie Herzog, and there's really nobody to blame. You can't blame Lonnie Alameda. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it's really something that's going to – I'm not going to say affect Florida State terribly because let's talk about the fact that Florida State softball is probably one of the more dominant programs in the past three or four years when it comes to softball. I don't think it's going to affect them nearly as much as it feels like it's going to affect them now. But Mackenzie Herzog was one heck of a player, and her absence is really going to hurt this base. Oh, it's not this baseball. Excuse me, this softball <laughs> team. Um, depending on what kind of recruiting that Lonnie Alameda gets over the next year or two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, obviously when you after a season, if you lose your your top two pitchers, which Florida State is with with King and Herzog both leaving the program um it's 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 rough because you you don't know what you're going to get that next year Uh, maybe the coaches have a better idea but from from a fan's perspective you're not really sure what you're gonna what you're gonna get but i do think florida state's got got three arms that you can kind of turn to 
and say, all right, we, these are our three. And, and next year for Florida State, or at least as it stands, you've got Catherine Sandercock, the freshman this year, made 11 starts and actually had a really good season. Um, had a 2.08 ERA and, and, you know, wasn't, wasn't outstanding, but, but definitely put together a bunch of really good outings. And then the other one is uh, Kaylin Arnold, who's going to be transferring from the University of Tennessee. Uh, she, she had a really good season. She actually pitched against Florida State this past year. Um, she made 21 starts for the Volunteers. Uh, she was their number two starter and had a 2-2-6 ERA. Um, so I think Florida State can kind of look to those two players right there, and, and maybe there'll be a competition um, throughout the preseason to determine who's going to be the ace. Um, I, I, I think you're going to get two pretty good pitchers out of Arnold and Sandercock. I just – I'm not confident that you're going to have that elite level um, that you got, obviously, out of Megan King, one of the best in the country, uh, but also out of Mackenzie Herzog, who, who was headed that way. Mm-hmm. And was it – Arnold had a pretty decent resume coming from Tennessee. She pitched over four – what I'm reading, if I'm a bit shocked to see over 475 and two-thirds innings – she had a two one two one five ERA, and she was fifty seven and twenty three in one hundred and seventeen appearances. So she does have a a ton of experience, Did to you, say the least. Honestly, was that was, was that, that over her career? Was that last year in three over seasons? Her career. In three okay, seasons I was about to say. No, 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 no. <laughs> because to put that in perspective, <laughs> Megan King has two hundred and ten innings pitched that past season, and she she started pretty much every game. So it's like I don't know if that's right. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think they played. A, I don't think she had one hundred and seventeen. <laughs> I don't think they played one hundred and seventeen games last season. Yeah, but. But, yeah, she obviously has a ton of experience, and she can be that valuable. She could end up being the ace. I, if I'm going to have to put money on someone being the ace, I feel like Arnold might end up being there just because of this experience. And yeah, I feel like definitely. that's just, that's how a lot of sports go in that way, where it's generally the person who has the most experience and who can handle themselves the best in certain situations ends up getting that spot, gets the nod. So. I feel like we could be seeing Sandercock lead off – or not Sandercock, sorry, Arnold leading off the season next year for the Seminoles. Well, something that's pretty interesting, and if I remember reading this correctly, she pitched behind Samantha Show when she was at Tennessee before mm-hmm. Show transferred to um, Oklahoma State, which, of course, Oklahoma State ended up being the team that knocked Florida State out of the postseason. So if I'm Arnold, I'm coming to Florida State with – with, uh, I, I almost want to say an agenda – um, maybe she does want that that starting spot. Maybe she does want to, uh, you know, prove herself a little bit more. It should be interesting to see. So you're saying that she's got a big poster. She's got one of the dart boards, and she just has Samantha Shaw's face on it. She's yeah, that's, darts that, on, that's kind of darts what I'm on getting. Who knows? Who knows? That's Who what. Knows? I, that's what I mean. That's what I'm getting from where you're taking me right now. But I, I don't know. Do you guys have any final ideas on how this? Florida State team is going to shape next shape up next year, or where the rotation is going to go. Well, I think at the beginning of this season, we thought, well, there's no way that Florida State could have the season that they did the previous year when they won the championship. We thought surely there might be some championship hangover, there might be some drop off. But this team, I would have argued, with exception to how they played in the postseason, this team this year was even better than the team last year. So, obviously, we just talked about them losing a couple of crucial pieces. But uh, I, I wouldn't, you know, necessarily count this, this softball program out in any stretch of the imagination. No, I mean, obviously, you still have Sidney Sherrill returning. Um, Danny Morgan's going to come back. They're, they're, keeping, uh, they're keeping a lot of their, their core together. Um, obviously, you're losing some big pieces, but – Florida State, we know, can recruit. Lonnie Alameda is a great coach. He's going to bring in a bunch of great players. And uh, it's going to be uh, – yeah, just going to have to see how the pitching plays out. I think the bats will be there. I think that lineup will still be deadly. Um, will they be able to p- pitch um, just close to the level that we saw out of King and Herzog this past season? Mm-hmm. So it sounds like we are not worried as a podcast here about Florida State softball. Never is worried. No, nope. Never worried? Not really worried. Never worried. Not worried for a second. Okay, so non-issue Herzog did not matter. <laughs> well, no. See ya. <laughs> well, it's obviously going to suck a little bit for this program, but uh, mm. I have confidence in the recruiting. Uh, you know, I, I have confidence in the current players that are there, so I'm not. I'm not terribly worried. All right, we'll be sure to tweet that. Not worried as a podcast about Florida State softball. <laughs> They're going to be fine. All right, moving off from both diamonds now, we're going to the hardwood. 
Florida State basketball had a pretty big uh, week last week. Last week was the NBA draft. Uh, we had previewed the NBA draft on this podcast with myself and the FSV's Chase Nebit. So we broke down a little bit of where we thought guys were going to go. I think we may have been dead wrong on every single prediction, <laughs> but that's not the issue. Both guys. So we had two, FSU had two players get drafted in the first two rounds. They only do two rounds in the NBA. And Fiondu Cabangeli and Terrence Mann both got drafted by the LA Clippers. Fiondu Cabangeli got drafted in the first round and then Mann later on in the second. And then later on after the draft, we had a couple signings out of F from FSU guys. Chris Kumaji got a deal with the 76ers. And then Kofer, I believe, Kofer got a deal with the um, Hawks to oh, get a shit. chance at the uh, summer league. So it was cool to see those guys get moved or get moving on from Florida state, packing their bags, hitting the show. And especially for Kumaji and, or sorry, not Kumaji, Kevin Gelly and man, both being taken by the, the Clippers. Cause if that can end up turning out to be good for both of them and both of them can end up starting for the clips out there, that could be one of the better stories in the NBA. Obviously it would get overlooked, but I still think <laughs> it would be pretty fun to watch. I don't know, Brett, where were your thoughts on the NBA draft as a whole? I don't know if you watched it or pay attention to it as much because I know you're more of a baseball guy. Just no, I, I definitely watched I definitely watched it late into the night, um, waiting waiting for Kevin Gelly and waiting mm-hmm. for Man to get picked and I enjoyed it. I thought I thought the trades made it a little exciting. I'm oh, yeah. I'm not a huge fan of, of the hats wearing a team hat that you're never gonna play for. Um, that's that's something that the NBA needs to kind of look into in the future. Because um, Fee, obviously, had to throw on that Brooklyn Nets hat, and we all knew he was going to the Los Angeles Clippers. Um, so I think uh, both to see them both go to the Clippers, and I'm not sure we're not sure if Terrence Mann will make the team to start next season. He could end up in, in the G League. Um, but the Clippers are poised to have a really interesting offseason. Um, obviously, now that the draft is done, the focus is on, on free agency. And I think there's still a big player for Kawhi Leonard, the, the finals MVP. Um, the mm-hmm. hero of Toronto. And if if the Clippers could bring in a guy like Kawhi or if they miss out on Kawhi, bring in someone else and, and really build this team. They've got some really talented players there already, including Lou Williams, who had 20 points a game last year. Um, not only could we just be focusing on both Cabot Gelly and Mann being teammates, we could be able to focus on and watch them compete in the Western Conference and a chance at an NBA championship and, and just getting, you know, from watching them play at Florida State and how this season played out, and, you know, Kevin Gelly kind of bursting onto the scene. Um, I know at the beginning of the, of the college season, I was unsure if he was going to be able to handle the large amount of minutes that he was going to receive with Florida State. And now to see him taken in the first round of the NBA draft, it's going to be my favorite storyline of the NBA season for next year. Nikki. Yeah, I, I like what you said about the, the changing of the hats because when you talk about Fiondu Kevin Gelly, I thought if he actually did end up growing to Brooklyn and not L.A., that Brooklyn would have been a perfect place for Fiondu. But when it comes to finding a nice, young, scrappy team to be a part of, I don't think you could find a better second or even some could argue better team at all than the Los Angeles Clippers when you think about what they were able to do last season. Players like Montrezl Harrell and Lou Williams and Patrick Beverly, really all these scrappy veteran and young players i think it's a fantastic fit for both terrence mann and fiondo cabangeli i don't know if terrence mann is going to end up staying a part of the la clippers organization i think he might bounce around in the g league at this point but as far as uh cabangeli is concerned i think he has a real nice chance to contribute right away in an atmosphere that really at this point you can argue has a level playing field there's no star in la yet hint hint Kawhi leonard but uh, I, think mm-hmm. I think it's a nice level playing field for Fiondu Cabangeli to do what he's done the past year and a half or so at Florida State, and that's proved that he is a very valuable NBA talent and he's one heck of a basketball player. Yeah, I like – obviously, I gave my opinion on this beforehand, but I like that it, the signing was good for them. And obviously, not only could Kawhi end up there, I think Clay Thompson was rumored to be taking a meeting with the Clippers once free agency goes live come July 1st. So that roster could really shape up to be something special. But I don't know what you guys are thinking about the guys who signed uh, at post-draft, like Kumaji and uh, Kofer. Two great guys have pretty, had good seasons all around, good careers at Florida State. I just – do you guys think they have a chance at 
somehow making the NBA roster, whether it be on their Sixers, like Kumaji was signed by, or the teams that originally picked him up? Or do you think that maybe they end up making the, an NBA roster via another way? Um, I, I think Kumaji, uh, well, one, I think it'll, it's going to be kind of just interesting to see how, how it plays out in the summer league. Um, Kumaji, I'm, I'm not sure if he has that, that pro ability, that the, the ability to play at the highest level. Um, Kofor, though, is an interesting one because not this past year, but two years ago on that Florida State team that went to the Elite Eight, out of everyone on that roster, I thought he had the most pro potential. Um, but then in, in his senior year or his redshirt senior year this past year, uh, he dealt with injuries the whole season and obviously uh, went through a lot of personal stuff in, during the NCAA tournament. And he's probably still dealing with some of that. And, you know, obviously that's, that's, a, that's a lot to take on. Um, and, and, and I think so he's going to be the most interesting one out, out of the guys that, that have signed post-draft because I do think from what I've seen out of him in the past, he has the potential to, to play in the NBA. Um, it's just going to be a matter of getting healthy, which has been a big issue for him his entire career. Yeah, I don't know about either of them really going to be able to make an NBA team at this point. I think that the skill set that Chris Camacho has is definitely a rare breed, but it's not a valuable breed in the NBA at this point. So it's going to be difficult for him to make an NBA roster, I think, at this point. I'm trying to, off the top of my head, come up with a comparison to Chris Camacho at this point. And the, uh, I think... I, I, it's difficult. I, I'm, I can't get one. I can't get one off the top of my head. Now, Phil Kofer, he actually probably has a more realistic chance of making a team than Kamaji does, even though he was picked up at a later date. I think Phil Kofer might spend some time overseas as well as in the G League. But uh, I think with enough time and proof that he has healed from his injuries, because it is important to note that Phil Kofer never was really truly 100% healthy this last season at Florida State. Uh, I think once he proves that his injuries are healed and that he can still play and that he can ball, so to speak, whether that's over in the in overseas or in the G League, wherever that may be, I think he'll be able to make an NBA roster eventually, but I don't see it happening anytime soon. Yeah, I I like what you guys are saying there. I think that's it's unlikely. And, and yeah, Kamaji could end up, in, like, just like Kofor, end up on the – on the European uh, circuit out there across the pond, maybe even in China, who knows? They could end up as one of the great Stephen Marbury's of the world, but you never <laughs> know. Uh, I just wanted to get you guys – I wanted to hear what you guys had uh, otherwise from the NBA draft. I don't know if you guys liked anything, thought there was any good pickups, any good signings, any shocking signings. I know the one for me probably was the Heat with Bull Bull. I was kind of shocked, kind of disappointed, disappointed that we let him kind of – or as a Heat fan – disappointed that they let him just kind of slip away for very little for what they did. I know, Nick, you're also a South Florida boy, so yeah. you could share in this misery once again. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, was, it was certainly an interesting, I, I don't want to say pick, because obviously, you know, they traded it away, but um, poor Bull Bull, man. I mean, your last one in the production meeting or production tent area, uh, at the NBA draft, you got to feel bad for him. I do kind of question his attitude on the entire thing. I think you need to have a positive attitude no matter what. Um, but as far as the entire draft is concerned, my biggest takeaways, and of course we talked about this on Tomahawk Talk on Monday night, uh, my favorite pick in the entire draft was the Celtics selecting Carson Edwards in the second round. I forget mm. the actual pick number, but that was by far my favorite pick in the entire draft. You already know that you're losing Kyrie Irving or at least if you're not sure you're at least like 80% sure he's already bought his plane tickets and made some arrangements in Brooklyn at this point, or maybe the next he's somewhere in New York that's yet to be seen, but I really enjoyed that pick. Carson Edwards can score. You're not going to lose any of Kyrie Irving's scoring ability at this point. Obviously it's going to take a little bit of time for Carson Edwards to develop, but if they do it right and Carson Edwards joins that roster of young developing players, kind of like what Fiondo Calvin Gelly and Terrence Mann are going into with, uh, with the LA Clippers, you know, Carson Edwards really has a nice, nice opportunity to kind of pick up where Kyrie left off and be that next, that next, I guess, Isaiah Thomas S point guard where he's kind of overlooked and he comes out of the second round and is an NBA star at some point. But my final thoughts on the draft or not my final, but before I throw uh, a bone to Brett here, uh, Phoenix mm -hmm. Suns, man, I don't know what the heck they're doing. But whatever they're doing, they need to stop doing and fire whoever they've got up in there and, you know, try something else. They're playing like it's a 2K basketball simulation, and that's not how it works. 
They're trading away all these picks. They trade away the opportunity to draft somebody really, really special. Then they end up getting, uh, I'm blanking on his name right now, Cameron Johnson uh, at 11 with a trade with the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, Cameron Johnson has had hip injuries throughout his time at UNC. He, I don't necessarily think he should have been taken that high. Um, oh, I'm sorry. They, they, uh, the Suns had Culver. This. Culver. That, that, that's, yes. who they, that's who they messed out on. But uh, they got somebody else later that I also didn't really think was a great pick. Yeah, Ty Jerome. You already Ty Jerome is a poor man's Devin Booker um, at this point. So I guess you're drafting the same player and hoping that it works again. I don't. I don't know, man. The, the Suns had a disastrous draft, um, and that's all I'll say on it. I'll throw Brett some some bread here. Uh, and as you as you guys know, I'm not a I'm not a massive NBA fan. But one thing I really enjoyed watching this draft, and, and I really get this with any draft, is those first three picks. And I know we were all expecting them. We all knew who was going to be taken. Zion, Morant, and R.J. Barrett. But to, to see those players and, and their faces when their names were called, it's a moment they've been waiting for their entire life. And even when they knew it was coming, um, that, that raw emotion you get out of those guys. And that's one of my favorite parts of watching any draft, and, and I love that. Uh, but one one actual selection that maybe we weren't expecting um, was number nine, the Washington Wizards taking Rui Hachimura out of Gonzaga. He was one of my favorite players to watch in the college game last year. Um, just a menacing power forward. A lot of similarities in his game and, and Fee Cabangeli's game. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to see uh, what a guy like Hachimura does in the NBA, the first player drafted out of Japan, um, which is another really interesting mm-hmm. storyline from this draft. And uh, I think I think he's going to be out of – obviously, we think the top three picks are all going to be really, really good players. But if you look in that four to 15 range, I think Hachimura could, could be the best player out of that bunch. Now, Brett, I could see why you like Hachimura. Did you notice on the ESPN uh, draft show, they showed that what Hachimura's name meant in Japanese? I, I did not, and I'm scared to find out. It translates to baseball base. <laughs> That's great. So he chose the right sport. <laughs> he, needs to, he needs to be a two-sport player. Come on. Yeah, so that, that shocked me. But also, like you said, your favorite part of draft night was just how the players reacted to their dreams being realized and, event, and getting that call up to the next level. My favorite part of draft night is the outfits, is seeing some oh, of the yeah. crazy stuff oh, that some no. of these guys come up with. I think my, one of my favorites of the night was Bull Bull. Bull Bull's outfit was amazing. He had the he looked like spider he looked, like, he looked like Venom out there with the all black <laughs> with the silver spider web. So who knows? This guy could be the villain of the NBA coming up. I don't know. I, I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's also some good other outfits. Like there's Tyler Hero who coincidentally just had happened to have on Miami Vice colors and just happens to get drafted by the Miami Heat. So. I don't know if there was anything going on there or if he was told otherwise going into the night, but I thought that was pretty sweet. Anything else from uh, any other fits that you guys enjoyed from the past week? From no, last week? I, I have to say I'm not necessarily a fashion Nova like you are. Uh, I'm more, mm-hmm. I, I'm more of the IQ guy when it comes to basketball. <laughs> How does this fit? How is it going? How is it going to work? Where could this guy have gone that would have been better for him? Is this a right fit for the program? I'm very about numbers and, and not necessarily numbers, but I'm very much about strategy and the, the deep mechanics of basketball. I'm not necessarily looking at that. And part of the reason why is because Russell Westbrook will show up to a game in like a traffic cone and call it fashion. So exactly. That's what makes it, that's what makes it great. That's That's what makes me not care. That (laughs) makes me, that's, that's what makes me not care, but I guess we're two different people. Mm-hmm. And also, I, I was kind of setting you guys up for this, but Biondu Cavangeli, you you had to have seen his outfit for the night. Yeah, it was beautiful. That was special. And on the, in, the inside was really cool of his sweater. The inside of his sport coat, it had all the players and names or numbers of all his teammates from Florida State this past season. Really sweet nod to the guys back in Tallahassee. Just shows you how much of a team player he really is. So, I mean, like you say, you don't pay attention. You don't like to pay attention to that. But, hey, sometimes that shows you a bit about a guy's character. No, absolutely. You never know. Absolutely. So, any final thoughts, comments, concerns regarding the NBA draft? Anything else we talked about? Anything we may have missed in this episode? Yeah, yeah I've got one more pick I want to focus on from that NBA draft. And, uh, again, you know, not really Florida State related, but, but Jordan Poole, Poole uh, out of Michigan to the Golden State Warriors. 
Golden State, we, we haven't really had to talk about their draft the last few years with the amount of star mm-hmm. power they've had. Um, but I think that they, they're at a point where they're going to have to start replenishing. You know, we're not sure. You know, KD and Clay Thompson might stay, but they, they there's still a chance that they don't. Um, so uh, Jordan Poole, I think, uh, is, is one of those guys that could become one of another great Golden State shooter. And I think that's going to be really interesting to uh, see play out. Uh, I, I have a couple of smaller picks. Uh, I really like what the Knicks did uh, getting Ignis Brezdakis, also from University of Michigan. I really like his attitude. I think that the Knicks are getting a core of young players that have a little spunk to them, have a little attitude, something that can make the Knicks organization excited. Uh, I really enjoyed that pick. I also really enjoyed – oh, and it's I'm blanking on it now. <clears throat> I, I liked Kobe White to the Bulls a lot. And I just want to mm-hmm. say that the Hawks had a great draft as well. Uh, we talked a lot about this on Monday night on Tomahawk Talk. Uh, the Hawks had a great draft. I'm not necessarily sure about Jackson Hayes at eight, but I am really enjoying the pick uh, The pick of DeAndre Hunter at four. I think he's going to be really good for him. And uh, who knows? I, I forget who said it on the show, but Hawks might be trying to get Splash Brothers 2.0 or 3.0 or whatever rendition we're at at this point. Uh, Hawks had a great draft. Um, and I think I'll leave it at that. Final thoughts, Brett? Nothing else? I, I think we, we, we've covered it all. All right, perfect. Thank you guys once again for listening to Talk and Shop. Goes, or from me, from Nick, from Brett, that's all we got for this episode. Please follow us on Twitter at, or at FSVU Sports. Uh, Nick, you want to shout out your Twitter? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at the Nick Carlisle. That's C-A-R-L-I-S-L-E. You can also follow my show, Tomahawk Talk, hosted on WVFS Tallahassee at 7 p.m. on Mondays. You can follow us on Twitter at talk underscore Tomahawk. Uh, obviously, we have shows every single Monday, and that goes pretty much every single week of the year, uh, give or take a holiday. So really hope that you join us for that. Brett is on it. Gary's on it. A whole bunch of awesome sports people are on it. So uh, great show. Really can't. I mean, of course, I'm biased. But, you know, that's, well, not, we, that's well, not the only thing this, I can be biased to in the world of sports, right? Well, yeah, this is technically a V89 podcast as well. We're V89 slash FSVU. We right, have correct. merged the two for this for this sake. And, Brett, you want to shout out yours once again? Uh, yeah, you can just follow me on Twitter at BG Rutherford. Uh, that's my last name, at BG Rutherford 99. Um, Going to be a lot of sports, not a lot of politics anymore, just sports. <laughs> All right, perfect. And you can follow myself at Gary Putnick. It's like Sputnik, just without the S. And uh, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google, and Spotify. Rate us five stars. Unsubscribe, resubscribe, rate five stars again. And thank you for listening. Have a good week. We'll see you next time.